my cat must have heard the word breakfast. You say the word breakfast. And his response was, well, where the bloody hell is mine? Mm. <laughs> That's what he was saying. I just got a tissue. To get, the cat just came to the door. I had to go and close it. <laughs> it's funny. Right. I suppose I better send you some stuff, hadn't I? You can. I'm just trying to read some bits for headlines. Oh, okay. So you're a bit busy at the moment, aren't you? I've never spent so much time buying so much gadgetry as I have these last few months and so on. Do you like watching uh, your doorbell? Is it fun? Oh, Dave, it's wonderful. It, oops, where are you? And what have it's you caught so far? Thing. It's wonderful. I tell you what. You know, we pay £80 a month for the brown bins, you know, the um, garden waste bin that you, you know, they, 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 they charge £80 a year for having them. Um, and then last week, one of the most wonderful things I discovered, I was watching my CCTV at seven o'clock in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I saw this bin man come along, Dave, empty the contents of the brown bin into the black bin. <laughs> oh no, I wonder where this is going. I thought to myself, what the hell is going on? I watched him, and then he took the um, little, we've got little gray bins, which is food disposal bins. He emptied yeah. it, and then he just threw it into my garden. And the thing oh. is, what made me mad about that is the garden's all concrete. And of course, it made a huge noise. He just threw it. And then he left all my bins. When they finally did empty the bins, they left all the bins halfway down the road. So you, you, you guess what my next move was. Well, did you write to the council? I wrote to the councillor. I wrote to the mayor. And I wrote to the head of the refuse department. Within 24 hours, I got a reply from all of them. The CEO said to me that they will put this matter in the hands of the head of the refuse department. Um, and they sent a rather courteous, but very blunt email to the head of the refuse department, who subsequently written to me with masses of apologies. And of course I've written back already. And they asked, can they have the CCT evidence? I said, no, I witnessed it with my own eyes and you may not have the CCT evidence until I cleared it with, with my CCTV provider that I can do so because the incident took place on the pavement outside my home. So I got another letter saying this will be investigated. Masses of apologies. 
because the, one of the questions I ask is, why the hell am I paying 80 quid a yes, year? Yes, exactly. <laughs> what am I paying 80 quid? Why am I paying for another bin for you to empty it into the other? And what has been the answer to that, Desmond? That's what they're deliberating on, because there's some you can imagine. So anyway. No, because that's the truth of it. You know it. It goes in the same fucking thing. Absolutely. You know it does. They know it does. But now you've caught them at it. <laughs> Absolutely caught them. And I, so, and um, you should find others, Desmond. Seek others. Create the rebellion. <laughs> so you haven't caught words, anything they've... else then? You've only caught the council not doing your bins correctly. Um, at this stage, it's the only thing I've caught. Not a oh. few leaves blowing across your path? Oh, I, I tell you what, I've discovered some mangy, mangy foxes. <gasps> oh, How dear. often are you watching your sodding doorbell? <laughs> a lot. It's your new TV channel, isn't it? It is. It is, is a dead part. It should no longer sit. It has no moral right to sit on these green benches. Did he just say the M word? Yes. Wow, this is good. Whatever. <laughs> they don't like to hear it, Mr. Speaker. They don't like it often. <laughs> Twice this parliament a is a disgrace. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we'll have that bit. <laughs> <laughs> it's true Shakespearean theatre, isn't it? It's great. It's this great. You're going to be hung by your own words. It's really good. I like it. I like it a lot. Oh, dear. If I, if I had time and energy, I'd find out where he lives. I would get a big car with a big speaker and I would turn up outside and I'd play that. Actually, we know where. We've just got to fly to the British Virgin Islands. <laughs> <laughs> yes, his neighbourhood. That's the problem with half of these people is finding them. What are you doing? What are you doing? Right, let me just write out my headlines. I'm getting them. I'm there. I think I've seen it there. Do you remember when you used to handwrite stuff, Des? Oh, gosh, Dave, yes. I, I, thank God I don't have to do that anymore. Do you never leave deliberate mistakes in your letters? No. You should just occasionally just, <clears throat> just have a random word in there, like, I am, you know, disagreeable to your, you know, proposition, fandango, blah, 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 and then say whatever you're saying. Just, just random words. Something, something, dancing queen. Like, <laughs> just do it to amuse yourself. Like as if they've started, like you've merged two things together. And they're like, what, what? It just throws them. It'll be great because they'll write back to you going, and we're not sure of your use with the word Fandango. <laughs> you can reply to them and say it was a missive. I don't know, whatever. Like, it just draws them into stupidity. <laughs> oh, God. I might try that, actually. Turn, turn, turn. When you're ready, Dave. Yeah. I'm ready. I've just what show number is this now? This is show number 42. Can you oh believe it? Good I God. I know. We're approaching 50, Dave. <laughs> you might be. You might be. <laughs> Listen, I've passed it, mate. It's your turn. <laughs>
Don't scare me. <laughs> no, you don't need to be scared. Listen, you're going to take it all in your stride. Right, we're ready to do this. Yes. Go for show, it. Show 42, here we come. Welcome to this week's Des and Dave. In America this week, the US January the 6th committee has got the goods in their latest subpoena. At least 13 Trump officials violated the Hatch Act whilst in office. Carl Rittenhouse, US teen gunman's defense lawyers, seek mistrial. Judge says there appears to be intentional discrimination in Arbery jury selection, but allows the trial to move forward with one black juror. Presidents are not kings, and plaintiff is not president. Trump loses in court again. And in other news, a deal has been reached in Glasgow at the COP26 climate summit. The deal presses for more urgent emission cuts and promises more money for developing nations to help them adapt to climate impacts. But the pledges don't go far enough to limit temperature rises to 1.5 degrees Celsius. And the Conservative Party has been bombarded with allegations that its MPs are on the fiddle. The Prime Minister Boris Johnson's handling of the situation has been publicly criticised and privately slammed. With more and more stories coming out about MPs' wrongdoing, it has put Labour on the front foot against the Tories for the first time in polls since January this year. How long before the Tory party commit regicide on their leader? <laughs> All that and more from Dez and Dave. I don't follow rules and they don't like that. I was skipping fools to get my sack right. I passed text me and that's why I don't text me. Cause full of shadow prison and be right back. These brand new don't step on my balances. I'ma get it cause they let me. They don't like how to talk that. Put it on my wrist, a puddle dripping. 42, I'm steady living. Yeah, I'm on and I'm off that. These brand new don't step on my balances. I'ma get it cause they let me. They don't like how to talk that. Put it on my wrist, a puddle dripping. 42, I'm steady living. Yeah, I'm on and I'm off that. Yeah, yeah, I don't follow rules and they don't like that. They don't. Yes, what song have you found us this week? <laughs> it marks our 42nd program. 42. It's a simple song called 42. And I haven't a clue what they're talking about. I think neither do they. <laughs> <laughs>
Yes, it was a shocking, yeah. shocking music selection from you this week. I wasn't expecting that. But, but I hey, we... what, I love the beat. It's yeah. Kind of, kind of sexy beat. I feel but... like we need to be in a nightclub. Anyway, it's been a productive week, hasn't it, Desmond? I'm very excited about UK politics for once. Anyway, we'll get there. We'll get there. You've got a lot of explaining to do this week. But the important thing to keep in mind is that the, the Americans who kept stoking Trump's desire to remain in office and took the most extreme views will go to great lengths to fight disclosure. So question now is, will the consequences be severe enough to act as a deterrent? And can the January 6th committee speed up its prosecutions of these people? And I believe we have a short audio Four o'clock in New York, the January 6th Select Committee throwing down the gauntlet with Trump World again, issuing a second batch of subpoenas in just as many days, this time to some of the biggest names in Donald Trump's inner inner circle. The 10 subpoenas issued just in the last couple hours include former White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany, who used her position at the podium to spread the big lie and was a White House insider in the final days of the Trump administration, as well as Trump advisor Stephen Miller. In a letter to Miller, the committee notes his role in spreading voter fraud conspiracies and notes that he and his team prepared the speech that Trump gave at the January 6th rally that led to the insurrection. Also subpoenaed John McAtee. He's described in the book Peril by Bob Woodward and Robert Costa as, quote, Trump's favorite enforcer. And stunning new reporting in a book by Jonathan Carl portrays McAtee as instrumental in the pressure campaign to get Vice President Mike Pence to disrupt the certification of the vote on January 6th. Also among those 10 subpoenas, National Security Advisor to the Vice President, Keith Kellogg, who was in the room with Donald Trump as the attack unfolded on Capitol Hill. All this comes amid an ongoing battle over documents and the release of documents from the Trump White House. Overnight, the ex-president filed an emergency request to block the National Archives from giving the 1-6 Committee Trump administration records. Even as the issue is already being dealt with in court, the judge wasted no time shooting down Donald Trump's request in just hours, calling it, quote, premature. A final decision by the same judge on Trump's records is due any day now. That decision and the decision by DOJ as to whether or not to prosecute Steve Bannon for defying a congressional subpoena from the select committee will have huge consequences for the committee's investigation and, frankly, for the rule of law in this country moving forward. Well, that definitely all needs some unpacking because there has been some developments. So I don't don't know if it's worth rewinding. So the January select committee that's looking into what happened on January 6th has asked former Trump people to come and give evidence. They have, more of them have said, no, thank you. We are asserting executive privilege. Biden has said, as current president, there is no privilege here into this extraordinary thing that went on, archives release. They took it to court. They argued in court. They lost in court. The revelation should have come out on Friday, just gone. But they managed to get a federal uh, uh, circuit to put in an appeal, and that won't be heard until at least the end of November. So at the moment, Trump's not quite won, but they're not going to get the documents as soon as they thought they were going to get them. That's right. And uh, Merrick, um, 
Garland has now produced the information required by the judge to indict Bannon. And as of today, Bannon has been indicted and the gauntlet has been thrown to the Med Mark Meadows and the whole heap of other Trump um, allies who have been um, reluctant to provide any written or um, oral evidence to the House Committee. So the, the um, what's the word? The noose, Dave, is getting rather tighter. <laughs> it, it, what I love is the succession of events this week. So it was Trump loses court case. <clears throat> All the evidence is coming out Friday. The Literally, you know, 36 hours before this is due to happen, they managed to get a, a stay basically in the appeals court. At the same time, the committee then threatened Mark Meadows, Trump's ex-chief of staff, by saying, yes, you best come on Friday. Otherwise, we are going to do the same to you as what we did to Bannon. But at that time, Bannon hadn't been indicted by the grand jury, allowing prosecution to now go forward to a court, blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, Bannon, that ended up happening. And then Mark Meadows didn't show up. So it's, it's yeah, it's like, we win, you win. We win, you win. We win, you win. Like <laughs> The wheels of justice, they turn slow, but they're turning. They're turning. <laughs> You're absolutely right. And there's so much more to this whole business of holding on to information and refusing to allow the American people sight of them because they know what they did. They. We well, did, all know did, what you, they did. did you see the interview that um, it was done some time ago, but it was a journalist that went to interview Trump shortly after what happened on January six down in mar-a-lago and he put to him that you know what do you think about them chanting hang mike pence and trump replied it's common sense <gasps> you didn't know this wow you didn't know this Not i thought you would have said found it was it. common sense he said it was common sense oh my word and remember, you know, Pence's reply to all this is, oh, it was just one day. Yeah, one day. <laughs> That's how coups happen. It could have been, been his last day on the planet. This is going to, this is a story, I think, that was, is going to warm the cockles of your heart. Because I, I, can, I, I can reflect back on a show we made oodles of time ago. And you, 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 how would I say this? You had a preoccupation with the Hatch Act, which I thought was fascinating. But um, at least 13 Trump officials violated the Hatch Act whilst in office. And I'm sure you probably can. Only 13? Yeah. Well, at this stage, at, at least, at least. It's not total, it's at least. And they, they've got a government watchdog agency, which is called the Office of Special Counsel. And they determined that 13 senior Trump administrators uh, um, violated federal law, which is they broke the law, by campaigning for President Trump in the lead up to the 2020 election, parts of which were held at the White Office House, the White 
house itself. And I remember the conversations you and I had, particularly during that period of, of um, standing at the podium in the White House, where they were, you know, were, were, were blowing Trump's, Trump's trumpet. Anyway, the report outlines the latest examples of Trump's officials flouting the Hatch Act, which basically prohibits federal government employees from engaging in um, campaign activity in their official capacity. So the law does not apply to the president or the vice president, but um, multiple other Trump officials were repeat offended. But what, like a common problem in the American um, um, presidential system, there is no enforcement mechanisms for the law once officials have left office. But this special office of this office of special counsel said it was publishing the violations in for full documentation for, for full documentation and to deter similar violations in future. And then it found that the then Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, violated the law by delivering a, a Republican National um, Committee speech from Israel. And the Homeland Security, Chad Wolf, did the same by leading a naturalization ceremony taped and played during the convention. All of this was done before the, uh, it was really bashing Joe Biden. Um, and this was during the course of the last elections. But, and there are many more. There's Kelly McEnemy, who's one. And there's also our very great friend, who is Kellyanne Conway. And in fact, they tried to prosecute her earlier um, for repeatedly um, violating the Hatch Act. Um, but th the problem is that th the report acknowledged the limited enforcement capabilities for officials. Um, but when the president disregards the law entirely, there really is nothing much they can do. So the emphasis now is on trying to um, set in place some mechanisms for holding sin senior administration officials accountable for violating the law. And you think, oh, here's another opportunity Trump's and his allies have got off with. But I know you like the Hatch Act because you talked about it very, very well, but the thing is, we well, it's parallels with England at the moment, I suppose. You know, you can't use your public office to make money. That's not what yes. it's there for. Like, you yeah. know, you have to go outside of the gate and make your phone call there. You cannot use the stamp machine to send out your own publicity, like, and make money again outside of your parliamentary duties. So, yeah, it, it, I don't know. There's, it's just the thing is, we already know that what went on. It's just great to be able, it's part of it, the committee stuff is spectacle to yes. have um, ask the question and hear their response. Like, yeah, ban all of those people, because if there's not consequences for these guys, who, who then? What they did on the scale of Nixon is, is you know, Nick Nixon looked like he, he stole a stamp now. You know, or he yes, borrowed a stapler to, to put together his daughter's homework. Like, it, it, you know, Nixon looks like he, he would have been a fabulous president compared to what went on before. And it's just, you know, 
I, I find it all, you asked when we started this thing, will Trump go away? And I said, yes, he's done for. Well, not yet, sadly, it seems, but you know, I'm stretching my uh, my analysis here. <laughs> you know, it's, it's taking too damn long. <laughs> Just lock like, him up. It's like the dying swan. It takes. It's taking quite a long, a long period for that. Time. Well, do you re do you remember Trump was going to leave the Republican Party and set up his own one? And he'd actually made up his mind. And what happened was, is the Republicans basically threatened him and said, we will get rid of your donation list. You know, the one that he emails that then produces, oh, yes. uh, you know, tens of millions in a pop. So they virtually threatened him with, we will just cut you off and cut you out and you will have to pay all of these legal bills. We will no longer pay them. And it seemed that money talked Desmond and he changed his mind. Do you know, that's such an important observation there, Dave. I think, and this is my own thoughts from the information that I've seen, I've been aware of and seen so far, is that the Republicans have put Trump in place because of what he's delivered to them. And in reflecting on Trump's last administration, the only thing that Trump actually delivered, which made which was of any value to American citizens, is heaping loads of money into the hands of the very wealthy companies, corporations, friends and individuals that surrounded Trump. They all had huge tax hikes. I can't think of anything else. He didn't get round to building the wall. He didn't get well, around. The funniest joke is 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 <clears throat> infrastructure week. You know, it was always yes. infrastructure week, but nothing ever happened. And this time, Biden made the joke as we played last week, where yes, infrastructure week finally passed. And there's all sorts of juicy nuggets. Okay, it's nowhere near the size of what they originally wanted, and there's part two still to come, uh, in simplicity. But there is some huge social schemes that Americans are not used to. That is going to put lots of dollars in poor people's pockets. And we'll have to see how that plays out because if they're now saying, oh, look, but look what happened. And they, they actually had the Republicans help them pass that. Let's not remember that, you know, there were certain Democrats that were refusing to pass this thing because this one was written in the Senate and passed then just in the House. And you've got the one that's from the House that needs to go to the Senate. It's all a game of stupid ping pong. But Pelosi knows what she's doing, there's Nancy Pelosi, House Speaker. The good yes. one. She she only calls the vote when she knows what the vote will be. Talking of Donald Trump, there is other Republicans in that party. And as always, the Lincoln Project likes ah. to delight us with their compilation of what happened last week in the Republican Party. Have a listen when it loads. <laughs> <laughs> Ruining our country, these vaccine Nazis. Should uh, kindergarten be a federal right? No. Enforce can always be counted on for the truth. I'm not vaccinated and I'm not getting the vaccine because I'm an American. I can choose what I want to do with my body. I think that the Texas abortion law is fantastic. It's the most important issue in the governor's race here in Virginia. Getting back to the basics of teaching children, not teaching them critical race theory. And, uh, and, and what is critical race theory? 
Well, I'm not going to get into the specifics of it because I don't understand it that much. I, I've never figured out what a critical race theory is, to be totally honest. Just because parents are exercising their First Amendment rights to speak out against critical race theory or even vaccine mandates does not make them domestic terrorists. And if we allow the Biden administration to continue this, God forbid, you're going to end up with mom and pop at Gitmo. Think about how outrageous that is, Harris, to think about. That, that is outrageous. Could that really happen? <coughs> I beg your pardon. I swallowed wrong. Well, and they think racism fueled the vote in Virginia, Laura. Why reach for conspiracy theories when the story's right in front of your face, rambling and coughing all over the place trying to get your attention? If you're going to have anyone above a certain age mm. in a position of power, you should have some sort of cognitive test, mm. like just like you have to show your tax returns. Also, I again found what appeared to be pubic hairs in the Chili Mac far from the first time this has happened. John Kerry has a private jet. I don't know about you, but I don't have a private jet. I don't believe any of the people on this stage have their own private jet. Portman does, yeah. <laughs> when you look at the Biden, the Brandon administration, in terms of what they're doing. <laughs> Let's go, Brandon! All items are cooked and followed by recipe cards. No other items are added to the meals. I don't know whether we need to explain that. So when they say, let's go, Brandon, they're basically saying F Biden because of a long protracted story. But it, 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 yeah, again, I do love Marjorie Taylor Greene. I'm not going to have the vaccine because I'm an American and I have a right to choose. And then it cuts to the clip of her going, the abortion law is fantastic. So what then about your right to choose as an American? Like, yeah, anyway. I love the hypocrisy around in handing your tax return. <laughs> no, but, but I swear, you, you know when a cat sees itself in a mirror and it tries to attack it at first sight, it just thinks like, oh, another cat. I feel like this is the Republicans. Like they walk past the mirror and they start arguing with it. And it's like you're arguing with yourself, love. Oh dear. Anyway, there's moving on, moving on swiftly. What else has the, happened in that crazy town? The lawyers for the teenager, Kyle Rittenhouse, who was charged with shooting three people amid civil unrest in Wisconsin last year, have called for mistrial. I'll come back to that. Rittenhouse's defense lawyers asked that the case be dismissed after the judge angrily rebuked prosecutors for airing apparently inadmissible evidence. Now, Rittenhouse is 18 this year. He testified that he killed two men, injured a third on the 25th of August 2020 on the streets of Kenosha in self-defense. And he's facing counts including intentional and reckless homicide, reckless endangerment, and illegal possession of a firearm after he fatally shot and killed Joseph Rosenbaum, who's 36, and Anthony Huber, who's 26. And he severely wounded Gage. I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce his surname. This is Gross Cruz Crank. Anyway, 28. And it's possible that um, 
he could go to he could get life in prison, um, Kyle. Um, but it's important to remember that when those acts, those criminal acts, were committed, Kyle Rittenhouse was seventeen at the time, and he was not legally entitled to carry these rather dangerous um, um, weapons. Anyway, he traveled at the time from his home, his city home. He lives in Illinois. And um, he said that night with the semi-automatic rifle in his possession that he sought to help protect property from unrest on the street. He's 17. Anyway, we have um, a rather good um, exchange between the judge, Bruce Schroeder, and the prosecutor, Thomas Binger, on this very issue. They come to, they come to a standoff in the court. It was an intense emotional day inside this Wisconsin courtroom. The judge making headlines for the tone taken against the prosecution amidst a rarity in any murder trial, the defendant taking the stand to testify in his own defense. You say I'm trying to get to the police. Why were you trying to get to the police? Because I didn't do anything wrong. I defended myself. Indicted for murder, Kyle Rittenhouse trying to take control of this storyline from the prosecutors who had detailed how he obtained a gun illegally and came into this new town armed and ready to go, ultimately attacking and killing two protesters. So the defendant went through an orchestrated story with his lawyers, which is the right of any defendant in American courts. What you're gonna see here is the effort to present a story of self-defense amidst claimed danger. During the evening, was there any friction between your group and protesters slash rioters? Uh, no, um, the only type of uh, stuff that happened was the person that attacked me first threatened to kill me twice. Okay, and the person who threatened to kill you, we now know is Mr. Rosenbaum, correct? Yes. Rittenhouse ultimately broke down on the stand in dealing with the key moments crying as he recounted what he says happened. There were... There were three people right there. a dramatic moment in a tough trial. Of course, those are the tears of the killer, the killing itself not in doubt. The legal question is whether it was a justified killing. And the jury has to look at that and put aside the emotion and determine whether or not it was justified. Indeed, if someone feels bad about doing it, that's not a murder defense. Now, the trial judge, who has faced some separate criticism from legal experts over claims of bias and rulings and statements in favor of this defendant and basically against the prosecutors, then did something else today, tearing into the prosecutor over what 
might have been a routine decision about evidence. I say routine because there are many twists and turns about what evidence goes into a trial, especially a complex murder trial. The jury was not in the room for this, so this really shouldn't affect them at all, but it was quite an exchange. The court left the door open. This for me, not for you. My understanding of You your... should have come and asked for, uh, for reconsideration. I, I was astonished when you began your examination by commenting on the defendant's post-arrest silence. That's basic law. It's been basic law in this country for 40 years, 50 years. I have no idea why you would do something like that. I had heard nothing in this trial to change any of my rulings. So why? Testimony, Your Honor. Pardon me? That was before the defense testimony. Don't get brazen with me. My good faith feeling this morning after watching that testimony was you had left the door open a little bit. Now we had something new, and I was going to probe it. I don't believe you. When you say that, that you were acting in good faith, good faith, I don't believe that, okay? Answer so that question of good faith, just a little legal translation. By the end, the judge is calling the prosecutor a liar in open court. Yes, the judge is calling the prosecutor a liar in court. Yeah, but I've watched Judge Judy. They do that all the time, don't they? Is that not normal, Desmond? <laughs> Very brazen of the judge. Um, and it throws the whole situation. It's Now, it's... It's not the prosecution that is looking for this trial, it's the defense. The defense are claiming that this is going badly wrong for the prosecution, and the prosecution would like a mistrial to be called. But they're claiming that it would be unfair on their client, and they want a mistrial. And the court, the Judge Schroeder, has said that he would give it some thought. <laughs> he will definitely give it some thought because he didn't rule on the motion, but he agreed, what he said he agreed to do was to take it under advisement, I think is the term he used, um, based on the future behavior of the prosecution team. Um, but he, as I said, even the prosecutor, even the defense uh, judge, uh, the defense counsel claimed that um, the prosecutors may have been angling for mistrial because the case was going so badly wrong for them. But the judge's motives are being questioned um, quite understandably so. I thought they played court and king. They can do what they like, can't they? <laughs> well, so, so they say. But this is one trial that's happening at the moment in America during the course of the week. We've also had a, a, a second trial and where the judge says, and it's only, it, it's only happened this week, which is the Ahmad um, Arbery um, case. And the judge said there appears to be, a, a, in advance of this, um, in advance of this, this the, the trial said, that there appears to be intentional discrimination in the Arbery jury selection, but allowed the trial to stand where there's only one black juror, um, juror, juror. And it took an awful long time for the selection process to happen in this Georgia County. 
in preparation for this um, this this this, this uh, trial. And um, as a panel of twelve people was chosen, consisting of one black member and eleven white member, and the jury was uh, selected after a two and a half week selection process that ended with prosecutors for the state accusing defense attorneys of disproportionately striking qualified black jurors and basing some of them on um, on uh, some of them because of their 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 race. And the judge, who's Timothy Wormsley, said the defense appeared to be the judge is saying this ahead of the case, said the defense appears to be discriminatory in selecting the jury, but that the case should go forward. And he said that this court found has found his court has found that there appears to be intentional discrimination. And what's interesting, and this is happening in a place called Glynn County. And more than 26% of the 85,000 residents are black and about 69% are white, according to the 2019 data, US Census um, Bureau. And of the 16 jurors selected, including the four alternatives, five are men, 11 are women. And um, the, the mother of Alman Abri was devastated by the courthouse, saying she was shocked there's only one black juror. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and it's very clear that this case is going to be a trigger point because you've got father, I believe, son and neighbor involved in the chase, chasing of Arbery, who was shot. Um, and I think as the case unravels, it will become, I believe, rather ugly, a bit like the Rittenhouse case, rather ugly. Well, from ugly cases to ugly things, how sausages are made. Oh, Desmond, have, I know you've been glued to your television and also washing out your yogurt pots for recycling. What do you make of COP26? COP26? Yeah. You remember the geezers, they went for a meeting, and the women's, they went for a meeting and chat about the climate and said, like, you know, recycle your newspaper, don't, don't burn coal in the yard, wear a jumper, you know. I have got a really very simple view of COP26. I think it's necessary for all the giants nations to be there and sadly they weren't probably people who are the worst violators didn't have a presence and a significant one and i include the germans in this um because uh, they use an awful lot of coal the russians too um and i think they owe the poorer countries a damn good explanation and i think they also owe them some support um, they they do because they have been the major exploiters of the planet and everybody else has had to pay for the wealth and the opulence in which they live. And I think that's one of the saddest things about this whole debate, that the people with the responsibility, and they are paying lip service to it at the moment. I don't think in any possible 
alternative reality, they're going to stop using um, fossil fuels. All the people who invest in major lumps of money in fossil fuels are not going to back down from their investments. They're going to maintain them. And I think that's the big, that's the big issue. Can people be brought to their knees and take some special consideration for the damage that's been doing to the planet? I fear the rich know. That's it's interesting. No, no, I completely agree. And actually, as part of the conversation, you know, they use the word reparation to other countries mm. for, you know, burning the planet and then, you know, they are the ones paying the most consequences. And I think it's interesting because it's always, yeah, yeah, talks cheap and, you know, but money talks and BS walks. And you just think, guys, we're going to have to at some stage. But how do you work it out? What Excel spreadsheet formula do you use to work out, okay, the Maldives, we are going to give X, uh, you know, this country we are going to give from Y and so on and so on. But it's basically the way the world economy works. You know, we flow from oil. It powers the ships. It powers the planet's uh, energy, which is what we all consume. So, the, you know, part of it is innovation, part of it is technology changing habits and people's ways. And, yeah, I'm sure the majority of the public would agree we need to deal with the climate change. But once you tell them you've got to separate your rubbish into 17 containers, uh, <laughs> spoiler alert, hopefully you've heard the beginning of this podcast. Well, there's a whole bin scandal right there on our very own doorstep. But like, yeah, and it's going to cost you more to put petrol in your car and you need to cycle more. And most people want to say sod off. You know, so it, there is a culture change that is also part of that as well. But the big polluters are res hugely responsible and they can find other mechanisms and other ways. And like we always say when we look back on stuff, if we'd have told ourselves X number of years ago that this would now be happening, we'd never believe it. So I'd like to believe by 2030, Desmond, there will be sadly a huge number of traffic accidents because no one, none of the pedestrians will hear the cars coming because they'll all be electric. And the problem will be, what kind of sound do we put on electric cars so you can hear them coming? Have you never seen a Prius? You never walked about in the street. Those things sneak up on you, Des. Yes, they do. They you do not hear the roar of the engine? No, you do not. You, no, not at all. I'm not even going to even attempt to. <laughs> you did it. You done it, did. <laughs> you, you're absolutely right. You just, it's, it does creep up on you. But it, it, it in some ways, actually, I'm enormously sympathetic with the the protests of the you know the, the people who sit and chain themselves to things, and you know I I, I do sympathise with the you know their protests, and I'm, I think fundamentally they're right. But this is a global response. It isn't a response that can be made by any one country or half a dozen countries. It needs to be made by the very wealthy countries who exploit the use of coal and all the fossil fuels. It also needs them putting their hands in their pockets, and it also needs for them to come off their high and mighty mountain where they think they can perhaps escape if we had a climate crisis. Um, because what they're doing is they're just buying the best property and the best available knowledge to keep climate change away from their families. 
they're protecting their families in all of this. They're, but the problem is, sooner or later, that sea level is going to rise and consume them. And I, sadly, Dave, I'm maybe called a skeptic, but I feel that it's not when till the water is up to their neck that they will suddenly <laughs> reflect. <laughs> Why do you think Jeff, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk are trying to escape the planet with their spaceships? They already know. They already know. They've seen the film, bruv. They've seen the film. Just before we come back to the UK again and we move further down the list to the sleaze, whatever that word. Anyway, we'll come to it. But the, the coronavirus test, we've not mentioned it in a little while. And I just wanted to ask you a question to see how good your knowledge is. What country in Europe do you think has the biggest um, amount of their population vaccinated? In Europe? Yeah. I'll tell you how much it is. It's 88% of the country. There's a country in Europe that's got 88% of their population vaccinated. Um, I have lost a little bit of touch with what's going on in Europe. Um, but uh, I would be rather shocked if you told me it was France. Um, I will not. France is in the middle. France has 69%. Uh, but I would think that probably Britain. No, we're under France. We're at 67%. We're the same as the Germans. Shock me. Although I understand there's a crisis at the moment with COVID in Germany. The Germans well, are really, um, the, Yeah, it's increasing everywhere, isn't it? But um, Portugal has managed to get 88% of their population vaccinated. Do we know what their population is? Uh, we can quickly Google it while I describe something else yeah. or try and suck up the time. Population of Portugal. That would be quite interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about that, actually. 10 million. Mm. 10 million. It's that's about a similar population as the Greeks. And that's the population of London. Mm. Um, I tell you one of the things that I, I'm, I'm a little bit wary of, of... Um, of these statistics is that <sighs> density is an important issue in the consideration of any spreading of bugs and germs and all sorts of things. Um, and I think that's an important issue. The other issue that appears is also racial composition of a country, because it would appear from all the known information is that some races are more susceptible than other races, and that needs to be placed in the equation. The other thing that always concerns me about stats is that I have people all playing the same rules, you know, the same recording equipment, the same recording methods. It varies so much. I mean, one of the things I'm surprised at when I hear that, you know, people are saying in Russia, oh, it's fantastic. And, uh, although we know re relatively recently it's not the case. Putin's got problems in Russia with the COVID. But anyway, when you hear these things, you think, well, how are they recording this? Who does the recording? How reliable well, is it? Talking of recordings, there's a website called Worldometers. There oh, yeah. has been 253 million cases of COVID. 5.1 million deaths and over 229 million people recovered. It's a serious disease, isn't it? 
yeah and, I, and like you say it depends how you break up those figures and look at them all because in america it's nearly eight hundred thousand people have died wow yeah yeah it's it's wow. insane huh it's insane okay Dave, moving on i wanted on. i just wanted to cover this very very quickly before because i just thought it was one of the most brilliant quotes of the week where the judge a federal judge sided with the congressional committee investigating the january 6th riot by refusing to block the release of the scores of we talked about it briefly earlier the scores of white house documents from the trump administration and she said this this federal judge said, presidents are not kings and plaintiff is not president. And here we go, Trump loses in court again. I just thought that was wonderful. Presidents are not kings and plaintiffs, the plaintiff is not the president. Oh, wonderful. Well, talk, talking of kings, you know, regicide, not, not, not old Queenie, but, you know, Boris Johnson. The Tories will certainly know how to get rid of him when they choose to do it, because they're known for it. The yeah. night of many knives and so on and all the rest of it. Uh, but Boris this week was forced at the climate summit to confirm that Britain was not a corrupt nation. It's certainly not where he imagined himself speaking or what he would be speaking about two weeks ago. I wonder why he said that. I don't know, but let's hear him say it. <laughs> Listening to what the British Prime Minister had to say. Uh, but I genuinely believe that uh, the UK is not remotely a uh, corrupt uh, country, nor do I believe that our institutions are, are corrupt. <laughs> it's a strange turn of events when a British Prime Minister has to declare that, no? I just think it's an odd thing to say. I mean, he must be feeling a lot of pressure. Well, this goes back to the Owison, Owen, Owison, Owison, that's a new name, Owen Patterson scandal. And, you know, they tried to help their friend out. I bet they wish they hadn't have done that now because... It's coming out left, right and centre. Look at this one and their house and they're playing this game. And it came out today that some MPs have second jobs and they don't have to declare it because they changed some rule in 2015 and so on and so on. And another two MPs have come out and said they did use their office and they're like trying to hold up their hands quickly before something else comes to them. Remember, Boris is still being investigated by the Standards Commissioner for who paid for his flat to be done up and so on and so on. But my favourite, Desmond, my favourite of this week is Jeffrey Cox, who, as you said to me just before we started recording, received nearly a million pounds for a thousand hours of legal work for no other than the British Virgin Islands, where he was staying in all of lockdown and voting remotely. And what was the problem? The, the Tory party chief whip knew there was not an issue. Jeffrey, I would like to refer you to yourself. You would say to this house, what are you playing at? What are you doing? You are not children in the playground. You are legislators. You are legislators, Jeffrey. You are legislators. <laughs> Dave, you know, one of the things I learned many, many years ago from politics 
And it was a story told to me by a politician, actually. I was a young man then, very young. And the politician said to me, look, this is how the game is played. We keep dirt on their politicians. They keep dirt on ours. When we've got a little bit of trouble, we publish ours. When they've got a bit of trouble, they publish theirs. And, you know, it's what we said last week, what I said, you know, I think there was general consensus between us over this, that politicians are noted for it. Um, they do more than one job. They've got more than one paymaster. In fact, they've got multiple paymasters um, because it's the, it's the nature of the, the beast. Um, they, they're always negotiating on making a penny or two. Um, and some of them justified by saying, yeah, well, it keeps them in touch with real people and real issues in some professions. And yes, I but there's a, there's a big difference between being, a, and it's always the example used, and I think it's quite a good one though, because it does make a moral kind of argument that if you are an A&E doctor, or whatever, you know, you're a doctor and you, you're an MP as well, and you do a couple of days, you know, a month or whatever, some, some days over the period of a year, there's no harm there, you know, you're helping people. You could make the same argument with the lawyer. The difference is you don't pay the doctor, do you? But again, if they are a private doctor and they're going to make a plastic surgery, would you have the same moral judgment, should we say? And uh, yeah, I just, there's, it's too delicious. We're, I would need to refer Jeffrey Cox to Jeffrey Cox again for his own legal advice. You would say to this house, what are you playing at? What are you doing? You are not children in the playground. You are legislators. Oh, this, would, this is too much. It's too good. It's too good. I will. Oh, I will say this: that one of the things that we, the one of the reasons why things are looking really quite difficult and bad for, and it was a blunder, definitely, on um, the government's part, is it wasn't so much that Patterson did what he did, but then to attempt to cover it up. That was the cardinal sin, and that's what's drawn everybody to the issues. And that, that's where the, the um, accusation of sleaze is, is quite rightly um, referenced. The um, thing is, it's not going to go away anytime soon because it's already rumbled on for two weeks. More stories are still coming out. This week, Boris Johnson has to go in front of the liaison committee which is the heads of all the select, the chairs rather of all the select committees for some very uncomfortable questions. And as we know, he's not very good on detail, but he will sure tell them that Britain is not a corrupt country. So you've, you've got that rumbling in the background and the detail is what is going to bury them all because it's just, it's too many. It's too many. And I, I just think ideologically he stands nowhere. So it, this could all crumble and crumble quite quickly. One of the things you said, and it's really important to remember, is that um, the Tories are rather ruthless in getting rid of readers. Um, and what will happen is that Johnson could 
very quickly be replaced. And the question is, who's the likely candidate? Difficult at the moment. No, Michael Gove wants it. Of course he does. But there will be some of the others. There'll be, uh, what's his name? Jeremy Hunt that pops back out of the woodwork. I but like think, Michael Gove is in, in that man. I think Barclay's more, um, he's a bit more polished than the others. Um, he's, he's, got a, he's got a good career ahead of him. I and think. you know the cheese woman, Liz Truss. Oh, you gosh. must know her. Yeah, Liz Truss is now the foreign secretary. So yeah, she, she is already canvassing MPs. Wow. On whether they like cheese or her. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, you're absolutely right about one thing. They don't waste time. Today's story, maybe you are today's story, may not be tomorrow's. Watch you back and watch this space. Listen, I would just refer, okay, not just Jeffrey Cox, all right, but I would refer all MPs to his legal advice that we will now give you for free. You would say to this house, what are you playing at? What are you doing? You are not children in the playground. You are legislators. <laughs> so get on with some legislating and not just to help your friend out. Oh, there's, there's this is beautiful. It's beautiful. But as we say, Dave, we have many, many, many rivers to cross. <laughs> Right, Des, uh, that brings us to a close for this week, but I'll see you next week for show 43. Yeah. Ah, yeah. oh, dear. So what did you say, Des, about many rivers? Well, I was going to say just a very, very out kindness that um, I can't help thinking that with the Kenosha killings at such a young age of 17, this is Kyle Rittenhouse, and he has a long life ahead of him. And his true motives on that night would haunt him. And I think also Donald Trump, too, faces many rivers, many court appearances and trials to cross ahead of him. And I just feel that maybe this is an appropriate ending for us, uh, today's program. Mr. Jimmy Cliff, many rivers to cross. Catch you next week, Des. And you, Dave. Thank you.